Welcome to the Environmental Integrity Podcast. I'm Tom Pelton. You wouldn't know it by seeing the scenic rolling farms in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. But agricultural runoff is the biggest source of water pollution in the Chesapeake Bay, according to the EPA Chesapeake Bay Program. This includes pollution from what an environmental integrity project study found was the 80% of farmers here who failed to fence their cattle out of waterways. On a sunny recent afternoon, veteran farmer and water quality scientist Bobby Whitescarver gave a tour of his wife's family's historic property in Augusta County as he explained why streamside fencing is so important for keeping fecal bacteria, sediment, and nutrients out of waterways. That's actually the South Fork of Shenandoah right there. And when it floods, this whole bottom is underwater. The water looks pretty good today because it's cold. The cows aren't in the stream. You come here when it's 50 degrees, this will be, this will look like chocolate milk. The pollution comes, White Scarver says, mostly from cattle farms upstream from him that have not fenced their cattle out of the waterway like his family has. Well, I sample it just, you know, probably 200 yards upstream and it's consistently over a thousand E. coli colony forming units per hundred milliliters of water, a thousand. The swimming standard is 235, so you wouldn't want to you know, put your hands in the water and then put them in your mouth or rub your eyes or something, you, you could, you know, potentially get something. Nearby, a contractor with a staple gun fastens steel wire to a new line of cattle fencing on the property. It's important because cattle do a lot of damage to a stream. They'll totally destroy a stream. You know, average cow's about 1,100 pounds and She's got cloven hooves, and when she climbs up and down the, the, the side of the uh, stream bank, it tears the soil off, and that soil gets in the water, and soil in the water absolutely kills the macroinvertebrates because they've got external gills. So if you, you know, you're going to destroy the aquatic ecosystem by having suspended sediment in the water, and they also defecate and urinate in the water, which is full of pathogens and nutrients. For three decades, water quality scientists have been emphasizing the importance of streamside fencing in cleaning up the Shenandoah River and Chesapeake Bay. But White Scarver says he understands why more than three quarters of his neighbors still don't do it, despite his urging and financial incentives offered by the state and federal government. They're resistant to change. It does take more work. They might not like government intrusion, red tape. They've always done it that way, so why change? His wife, Jean Hoffman, said that there are trade-offs, but one major benefit of cattle fencing is that cows are healthier when they drink water not out of muddy streams, but out of clean watering troughs and modern watering devices. It, it takes a great deal more time, but then it saves you time. And it saves you vet bills and sickness in your cattle and death in your cattle. Cattle inevitably will go to a creek to calve, and then the baby is in the water. So it has a tendency to get sick or drown or die, and it just becomes much more difficult. So it's, it's just easier all the way around. One thing that's not easy is the cost for farmers. Bradley Dunsmore is a cattle farmer and president of the board of the Augusta County Farm Bureau. 
He said that state and federal programs will reimburse farmers for 75% of the cost of installing streamside fencing and alternative watering devices. But that still leaves farmers on the hook for the other 25%, which can add up to thousands of dollars. Here's Duns Moore. You start getting on farms that are three, four, five hundred acres, just stream fence off and putting waters in to replace the uh, water you're losing by fencing the streams off can easily run $150,000 to $200,000 project for one farm, which very, very few farmers in today's ag economy have the cash to do that. And it is a barrier for some of them even to borrow that kind of money. Um, so that's certainly a cost to me is one of the biggest barriers. But it's not the only barrier or even the most significant barrier. In fact, from 2012 to 2015, Virginia offered farmers 100% reimbursement for streamside fencing. But still, only a small percentage of farmers volunteered. Another factor is culture and tradition. This is according to Robert Drumheller, a soil conservationist with the U.S. Department of Agriculture who promotes fencing in Virginia. A lot of older gentlemen and farmers spent, spent their childhood cutting brush off the creek bank. And here we are today promoting to put that vegetation back on the creek bank. And, and that's, that's a big no-no for them. They, they, uh, they spent their childhood doing that, and they, they want a nice, clean, uh, open farm. And uh, so that, that is a big reason why people don't do it as well. Now, this factor could be seen as somewhat irrational. After all, even cattle farmers agree, fencing improves the health of their livestock. And of course, strip down clean stream banks without fencing or streamside vegetation increases both the erosion of farmland and downstream sediment pollution. So to overcome the weight of the status quo, it may be time for Virginia and other states to start mandating that cattle farmers keep their livestock out of public waterways with fencing. This is one of the conclusions of the Environmental Integrity Project's report, Streamside Fencing in the Shenandoah Valley. According to the report, state and federal governments should also pay farmers 100% of the cost of fencing projects so that farmers suffer no financial losses for improving water quality for other taxpayers. For the report, we and our partners at Shenandoah Riverkeeper examined Google Earth aerial photographs of 1,676 livestock farms with streams or rivers in Virginia's two largest farming counties, Augusta and Rockingham. We found that only 19% of the farms, or 321 of them, had fenced their cattle out of waterways. The reason we conducted the aerial survey is because nobody else had looked into the question and because our examination of fecal bacteria levels and algae blooms in the Shenandoah River revealed serious problems linked to the livestock industry. Courtney Bernhardt is Director of Research at the Environmental Integrity Project. So we, we've been tracking bacteria levels using data that the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality collects every year and every month. Um, we post that on a website and you can go there and um, www.environmentalintegrity.org? Exactly. Um, you can go and see what the latest readings were um, and where impaired reaches of the Shenandoah watershed are located. And I think last summer, for example, you found something like more than 80% of the state's water quality monitoring stations up and down the Shenandoah Valley had levels of bacteria that were unhealthy for swimming. Exactly. exactly. So it's a lot of unhealthy bacteria levels. There's a lot of 
there are big algal blooms in the Shenandoah River. Mm -hmm. uh, it causes problems for, for fishermen. And mm -hmm. people like to go out and recreate on the waterways to have so much nutrients uh, from the manure. Mm -hmm. So keeping this farm runoff pollution out of the Shenandoah River, farm fencing is an important issue because there's a lot of cattle, a lot of livestock in the Shenandoah Valley, and it's a growing industry. And has anyone looked at the question, how often do farmers keep their animals out of the public waterways? Uh, I don't think anyone has taken a systematic approach like we did. This was a kind of an exploratory project to see if this method was reliable. Yeah, I mean, I remember but... I looked into the issue a couple years ago. I called up Maryland, I called up Virginia, mm -hmm. I called up uh, West Virginia, called up some other states, and I asked them, how often do farmers install fences to keep their cattle out of waterways? And the answer they gave me was, we don't know. Mm -hmm. we, we, don't, we don't track it, which is kind of shocking yeah. considering that, for example, I believe Virginia has told EPA that it has a certain goal for livestock fencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were planning to fence 95% of streams that run through pastures. Um, and our findings show that they're very far away from that target. So what did we find? I mean, how often are they fencing their cattle out of streams? 19% of the time. And how did you do it? Did you literally look over the Google Earth images? Yeah. <laughs> and how can you tell if there's a fence or not? I mean, that would seem to be kind of a hard thing to pick up on a space photograph. Yeah, yeah they can be kind of hard to spot, especially if there's trees or other vegetation. But in most cases, you can see where a fence is because there's a difference in vegetation on either side. It's kind of like looking at a mowed lawn and an unmowed lawn. Sure. So one's a lot shaggier. Yeah, one's shaggier. Maybe there's some shrubbery or trees growing. You and can... then streams that have mm -hmm. had livestock in them, often the banks are brown and muddy, and you can see it. It looks like a disaster in terms of the amount of muddiness. Yeah, yeah. The technical term for that is a denuded stream bank. Not a disaster stream yeah, bank. Yeah, but denuded. Okay. But right. and it, it it basically means. Can that, we use that word? I think so. I think I think I think it's safe for so. family radio. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So cattle leave a distinct path. Right. So they're heavy animals. They weigh about a ton each. Right. And they like to follow the same paths to the same places. They're kind of like humans, or if you go to a college campus, you can tell where everyone cuts corners. Yeah. Cattle do the same thing. They follow the same path between food, shade, and water. And you can tell if they're going to a stream. You know, I talked to the head of the Augusta County Farm Bureau, and I presented them what we found. Basically, 19% of the cattle farmers are keeping their livestock out of the streams. And he said, you know, in essence, number one, that he keeps his cattle out of the streams because it's good for the health of the animals. Mm -hmm. They actually grow faster. They gain weight faster if they're drinking mm -hmm. clean water and not some muddy stream water. Mm -hmm. But he also said thank you for looking into the issue because they didn't even know, mm -hmm. even in Augusta County, how many Augusta County farmers were doing this. And what's the significance of this? I mean, if we found that only 19% of uh, farmers in Virginia's two largest agricultural counties are keeping their animals out of the public waterways, and that compares to a state goal of 95%. What do you make of that gap? It's a huge gap, but in a way, putting a number to that gap shows that there is some low-hanging fruit that can be tackled. If yeah, 
It's if, not zero percent. No, I mean, it's not zero percent. I mean, we have they're twenty percent of their way toward that ninety-five percent goal. If you if you use our analysis as a proxy, right? But you know, this is Bay Cleanup One Hundred and One. It's an easy practice. Right. It's it's a it has quick rewards and meaningful rewards if now, it can be implemented. It's easy and it's logical. Mm-hmm. It's not always cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the farmers I talked to said it can cost thirty, forty thousand dollars. To install fencing along streams, in part because when you keep the animals out of the streams, you have to build a separate watering system so they can drink somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that involves putting pipes or digging wells and making a an alternative watering device system. And so, how do we overcome that? I mean, how do we overcome this cost issue? A lot of farmers aren't rich people. What do you think? Well, there's a way to encourage farmers through tax incentive or disincentive, depending on how you think about it. You can give farmers who implement these practices a bigger tax break than ones who don't. You can have the state or federal, is it NRCS? U.S. Department of Agriculture has a Natural Resource Conservation Service that actually provides reimbursements for farmers Mm -hmm. when they build fences along their streams. Mm -hmm. What's interesting though is in this report, we found that the state of Virginia and the USDA are providing about 75% of the cost for mm-hmm. farmers who voluntarily install fencing, but that's not enough. I yeah. mean, it's not getting very many farmers mm-hmm. to do this. And part of the problem is that they're reimbursing farmers after the fact. And right. a lot of farmers don't have that money in their pocket to pay for fencing up front and then wait for a reimbursement. That's right. There's a financial risk there. Yeah. So if there's some way that the state or federal agency could front part of the money first, protect the most vulnerable waterways, and then reimburse for the rest. At least both have skin in the game. That's right. And that's a popular suggestion that in our report we advocate giving farmers 50% of the money up front to help them start the fencing projects and 50% later on to finish the reimbursement. You know, the Augusta County Farm Bureau, when I talked to their director, that he loved that idea. That, that was an idea that they don't like regulations, they don't like mandates, but they do like the idea of helping the farmers out financially. How about this whole question of voluntary efforts? You know, for years, Virginia has been using a voluntary system to try to encourage farmers to install these fences. The data we looked at, does that indicate that this voluntary system is working? I wish it did. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, it, it shows that farmers need a little more urging to get this these practices on the ground, um, whether that's through financial incentives or just a simple, clear requirement. Right. And sometimes that's what people need. They need clear expectations and a deadline. Virginia just proposed its own new Bay cleanup plan, and it's putting a proposal to the EPA about how to move forward. Is Virginia's plan going to solve the problem? I don't think so. I think it makes things a little mushier to measure, but, you know, the results remain to be seen. So the plan eliminates that 95% numeric goal that we mentioned earlier. Another thing that they do is they limit their goal to perennial streams. Um, Meaning only those that are running all year round, all 12 months. Exactly. And a lot of the waterways that run through pastures are small headwaters. Right. And sometimes they don't run all year long. And, you know, we saw this in our in the aerial imagery that we looked at. Sometimes in a wet year, there was a stream there. In a drier year, you couldn't see it. Right. Um, so, you know... It, so it, someone it, might ask, why do they matter? I mean, why do we care about these little tiny streams? Well, they, they feed the larger stream, right. for one. And I heard that something like 200 million people across the country drink water from systems that do get water 
flowing from headwater stream. If you don't protect the little streams, in essence, you're not protecting the waterways downstream and mm -hmm. people's drinking water. So Virginia's plan eliminates the 95% numeric goal. It eliminates the need to protect all streams. It talks about only protecting perennial streams, only those that run year round. And it kind of falls short, I think, is when I was looking at it, it almost kind of uses a lot of technical language, but it, it's basically less firm than even their last goal. They're going backwards. I don't like that they don't set a deadline right. in their new proposal. They're they used suggest to say, we're going to protect 95% of streams by the year 2025. It was mm -hmm. firm. Exactly. But now they're saying they need to go to the legislature to set a deadline. To pick a date. Yeah, to pick a date right. where these exclusion practices have to be in place. Right. And without a deadline, how are you going to ensure that these things actually happen? And they're also rolling the dice with the legislature. Right. So you don't know what the legislature is. It's a Republican legislature do. right now. Republicans aren't going to want to impose regulations on farmers. That's just not the way they roll. So to somehow suggest, hey guys, why don't you pick a date? Mm -hmm. In a way of saying, we're not going to have a date. We're yeah. not going to have a deadline. Yeah, they need a backup plan yeah. for that. Yeah. Definitely. And it matters because the Shenandoah Valley is a beautiful place. It's an incredible resource. And if we can't even keep the waters free from bacteria and algae because of, of the farms we have right around there. I mean, you know, what are we doing? It's, it sounds like this is kind of a basic issue for Virginia. Yeah, definitely. And, and this issue isn't just in the Shenandoah watershed. Right. It's all across the country. Bacteria right. is the number one pollutant. Yeah. And it, most of it comes from agriculture, either spreading of manure or cows in streams. So if we can figure out how to solve those problems, it would help a large number of people. Yeah. All right, well, that wraps it up. Thanks so much. This has been the Environmental Integrity Podcast. I'm Tom Pelton, and we've been with Courtney Bernhardt. Have a good afternoon.